0: This audio teaching is provided by Segula.net. You are listening to a teaching from our series on the topic of worship. This teaching was recorded live at Eight time Messianic Fellowship. Alright, so this is session 5 in our series on worship. And we are going to be looking at... Uh, the topic of music, music, and worship, so uh, in the first four sessions we've looked at defining worship, what 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 does worship mean, what is praise. We looked at all you know, some of the different Hebrew words that are used in scripture to describe worship and what they mean, and we also talked about the sacrifices, how the sacrifices are a form of worship, and what the sacrifices teach us about worship, and then we also looked at. The, uh, the role of repetition and liturgy and, and what, what, does that, what role does that play in worship. So, uh, and all these sessions are available on segula.net where we're slowly uploading them. I think we're at session two now on, that's available online. So if you missed any of the previous ones, you can go on segula.net and, and find those recordings there. Um, So today, I want to talk about the role of music in worship. And this is an important subject for a number of reasons. Uh, For most believers in North America, when we hear the word worship, we immediately think of music. That's the first thing that comes to mind, is, is, is music, right? Churches commonly have a group of people known as a worship team. Uh, they may even have a worship pastor, and what do these people do? They, they do music, right? That's, that's their job. And so, uh, you know, when people t- use the, the phrase f- praise and worship, that almost always means music, right? We're talking about singing songs, music. The, the problem with this is that this is not usually what the Bible means when we see the word worship in the Bible, uh, in our English translations. And so let's, let me give you uh, two quick examples. First example is Genesis 22, verse 5. So in Genesis 22, this is the story God tells Abraham to go offer your son as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you in the, in the land of Moriah, Moriah. And so Abraham goes with his servants and then he says to his servants, "Stay here." This is verse five. Abraham said to his young men, "Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And then we will come to you again." So in this word, or in this verse, the word "worship," it, there, there's nothing about music going on here, right? Like Abraham and Abraham and Isaac aren't going up the mountain to have a jam session and start singing uh, Paul Wilbur or something like that, right? That's not, that's not what they're going to do. Uh, so, so worship here doesn't mean music, right? Um, it, uh, it's talking about sacrifice, right? And we know the end of the story. God provides a ram and uh, they sacrifice that as an act of worship to God, right? So here's another example to look at quickly. Uh, John chapter 4, verses 19 to 24. This is a passage that uh, you may be familiar with. Yeshua is talking to a Samaritan woman, right? And then the subject of worship comes up. They start talking about worship. Uh, So John chapter 4, starting in verse 19. The woman said to, to Yeshua... Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Yeshua says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit And truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So again, in the in the context of these verses, there's there's no indication that they're talking about music, right? It's uh, it's it's well, I mean, first of all, it starts out as kind of the, the Samaritan debate, where you know the Samaritans have their mountain on Mount their their temple on Mount Gerizim. And, uh, and Yeshua says, you know what? You guys are actually wrong there. The temple's supposed to be in Jerusalem. But there is also this, this statement about the, the need to worship in spirit and in truth, right? And so it's not, it's not just about music that it's talking about. In, in fact, there's, there's not any specific indication that music is, is, uh, is what's going on in these verses. It's, it's something beyond that, right? So, all this to say that we, can't, we, we, can't assu- we cannot assume that worship is all about, or, ev- or, or even primarily about, music. Worship is much, much more than music. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of music. I, I think music is an important part of worship. And I love playing music uh, in a way that glorifies God. I think that's, I mean, for me, that's a way that I really connect um, and express myself emotionally is through music uh, and creatively. But I hope that by this point in our series, uh, we've come to realize that worship is so much more than just music. Worship is a posture, it's a habit. It's a lifestyle of submission to God, of service to God. Worship is our response to God's gracious revelation. God reveals himself to us, and we respond to that revelation, and, and worship is that, that response. And worship involves our entire lives, right? It's, it's, it's not something you do just on Shabbat. It's not something you do just when we're gathered together as a congregation. It involves our daily lives, you know, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, and everything in between. It it involves, uh, it means submitting our entire being to God, right? To serve him, to honor him in everything that we do. So it's with that caveat in mind that we can approach the subject of music and ask a question that otherwise we might not even think to ask, what is the role of music in worship, right? This question assumes that music and worship are two different things. Uh, so if we uh, if we can separate, distinguish between those in our minds, then we can begin to ask the question, what's the role of music in worship? But at the same time, th- this points to the fact that music can play a, a role in worship, and I think that's something that, that the scriptures demonstrate. So we're going to look at that first. We're going to Take a look at examples within the scriptures of music and worship. So, here's here's a good example. The song at the sea in Exodus chapter 15. Right? God, I mean, here's a great example of revelation and response. God redeems the children of Israel, brings them out of Egypt, brings them to the edge of the Red Sea, and... Brings the children of Israel through on dry ground, and then Pharaoh's army comes, and the waters cover Pharaoh's army and destroys Israel's enemies. And the people respond with, with this amazing song of praise and thanksgivings uh, to God, in the song of the sea in Exodus 15. So, so there's there's an instance where just just you know the sheer. Amazingness of what God has done is like impetus to sing to praise through music. Another song, Deuteronomy thirty-two. This kind of um, has a different tone. Don't have time to go into that right now, but but this is like looking towards the future of Israel's history. How Israel will will fall. Israel will. Um, fail to uphold God's commandments and the result is Israel will go into exile but then God will redeem his people from exile in the end and the final redemption is also we see music with the song of Moses and the song of the lamb in Revelation 15 so the former redemption and the latter redemption and everything in between is all framed by music um, songs of praise the Book of Psalms is music right this is this is all music and it's praise uh and uh, singing praise to God, glorifying God through music and uh if you read through first chronicles, um, one of the things that stands out is the descriptions of the temple music, the temple musicians um, singing God's praises in the temple so all this together we see throughout scripture, there's an impetus towards song as a means of praise to God. Uh, I think it's not only acceptable, but it's vital that we use music to praise God. There's even places in scripture where this is framed as an imperative, like a a commandment, like do this. Look at that. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. So This is you know, it's directed at, at us reading this. It's like, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to sing praises to God, right? There's a, a bunch of examples here. I, um, I won't go through all of them. Sing praises to God. Sing praises um, for God is the king of the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre, right? So there's an imperative to sing. There's also an imperative to use musical instruments in praising God, right? So the last verse there says not just to sing, but to also make melody with a lyre, with a, a harp or a guitar, or what how, however you want to envision that that instrument. So we see musical instruments in worship as well in in Scripture, right? I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness um, and and just you know step back a second and think we're back to our our session where we were talking about the meaning of praise in he, in Hebrew the meaning of of this uh, this word uh to to declare who God is and what he has done and just think about what does it mean to do that with a musical instrument um because we're so used to talking about music and worship as as being the same thing right that we sometimes gloss over this but but think about what what does it mean to actually show how amazing god is using a musical instrument i think i think that You know, this is, this is, uh, there's something about music that God has given us as a gift that is, that is designed to, to capture our hearts in devotion towards him. Uh, Music is a beautiful gift that God has given us. So we have, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets, the sound of a horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord, Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Psalm 150 is is a really good psalm for, for illustrating this sort of thing. And uh, something that's worth pointing out, this is also true and is es- especially true on Shabbat. Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, and it goes on. So, in I don't know if you know this, but in um, some uh, forms of Judaism and some forms of Christianity, they don't use any musical instruments in in worship on. Uh, for Jewish people on Shabbat and for, for Christians on Sunday. There are some groups that believe in you shouldn't use musical instruments in worship, um, or at least not on the Sabbath. I think this kind of disproves that, in, in my opinion. Uh, I think there is a biblical basis for using musical instruments on Shabbat specifically to praise God, and that that's appropriate, that that's something that God, uh, God delights in. Us using music to praise him. Yes, Miriam led out the Israelites with tambourines, right? Yeah, yep. In Exodus uh, 15, we read about Miriam and the women dancing with tambourines and and singing, right? Making music to God. Okay. uh, As a final point, I want to just look at these two passages that are that are parallel. To each other, they kind of say a very similar thing, but in, in different ways. Ephesians five eighteen to twenty says, "Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Yeshua Messiah." And then Colossians three sixteen, "Let the word of Messiah dwell in you richly." teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So both of these verses mention psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But notice there's there's kind of a, a, a dual purpose for these, right? On the one hand, these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are directed towards God as, a, as praise, right? You, we, use the, we use these to, to glorify God, to, to praise him. On the other hand, we also use them to teach and admonish one another. So uh, I think, in other words, <laughs> one of the roles of music in our Shabbat gatherings is to teach. Usually we think of worship and learning as two completely different things right worship is over here learning is over here and by the way in judaism this is not the case uh in in uh judaism study is considered a form of worship right i think there's i think there's a biblical basis for that right when we are reading from the torah uh and and even during the teaching during the drash Right? Uh, this ought to be part... This is, this is worship. This is part of our worship, right? This is uh, part of what it means to worship God. And it's through the exposition of God's word that God's revelation is clarified for us so we can respond, and that's worship. Good quality songs and prayers will instill in us a deeper knowledge of God's word and an understanding of who he is and what he has done. One of the beautiful things about music is it makes it easy to memorize Right, uh, there's so many Bible verses that I learned a song to that verse, and it's really easy to remember the Bible verse because all I have to do is remember the song. Um, whereas if I were to try to memorize it without that song, it would be easy to forget. Right? So music is, is a gift that God has given us, and it can be used um, when we're when we have songs that we sing together. They praise God and they also teach us good good quality music should also be teaching us as well. So all this to say, I think there is ample evidence in scripture that music ought to be an important part of worship, including the worship we do together on Shabbat. And this should be obvious, but sometimes we need to step back and ask ourselves these questions. Why do we do what we do, right? Um, Let's make sure that what we're doing is actually in line with, with God's word. But, I mean, you think about it. What else is music for if not to glorify God? You know, uh, there's a famous quote by J.S. Bach. The aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. There's, you know, music is something that excites our emotions, our feelings, our passions, and... As humans, we use music to sing about the things that are like great and noble and and, like those high noble experiences that we have as as humans. There's no nothing more noble to sing about than God. There's you know, secular music can never at measure up in this in this regard. 99% of the songs on the radio are about about love, romantic love, right? Romantic love. That's, that's what all the songs on the radio are about, right? Because, because the highest humans can get without God is romantic love. That's the, that's the highest kind of experience you can ever have without God. That's as high as it gets. And, you know, songs about math just don't make it on the charts. <laughs> I don't know why. Songs about politics or, or your favorite pet... Those don't end up on the radio. Uh, It's 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 always songs about love that that uh, you know celebrating love, grieving the loss of love, evoking the passion of love. These sorts of things that those are those are the songs that you hear on the on the radio Um, because that's that's the highest that you can get without God, right? But romantic love can never last forever because we're mortal human beings right eventually god forbid we die right eventually god forbid there's an end to romantic love but god through yeshua has defeated death the final enemy and god's love never ends there's there's no human experience that is higher than God's love. No, nothing that can supersede God's love. More than anything else, that's something worth singing about. So music engages our emotions, our passions, our our hungers. And it's a precious gift that God has given us. It's a tool that God has given us. And I think it's not only appropriate, but imperative that we use this gift for his glory. Now, sadly... The subject of worship music has often been the cause of division in the body of Messiah. This has been the case uh, historically in Christianity, especially in the last uh, you know, 50, 60 years or so in the evangelical church um, with the rise of contemporary Christian music. So the older generation grew up on hymns with piano and organ and the younger generation came along and wanted choruses and guitars and drums in their, in their services. Uh, and so this, this caused a lot of division in, uh, among believers. This was uh, um, sadly, this tore some congregations apart, these, these kinds of issues of, you know, what style is the right style to have of music? What, what kind of music is good music and all these different things. You know, even in the Messianic Torah movement, we sometimes encounter conflicts over this subject of worship music, right? Sometimes people argue about the style of music. Sometimes people argue about the the sorts of lyrics that we have in our music. Sometimes people argue about which artists are ones that we should use their music, right? Which ones are, are good to draw from. And this can be an emotional subject. And so I want to be sensitive in the way, in the way we discuss this. But in the rest, and I'm not, not going to try and make any hard and fast rules about what this should look like. But I want to suggest a few guidelines and, and issues that we need to think about when it comes to worship songs and worship music in our, in our congregations. How, how, how should this look? What role should it play? I want to start off by clarifying something that I think needs to be said. Worship is not a feeling. Um, You know, sometimes, sometimes we experience powerful emotions during worship music, but it would be a mistake to equate those emotions with worship, to say, Emotions equals worship. I think that would be a mistake uh, and similarly it would be a mistake to equate those feelings with the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we we think that um, we make that mistake that we think that if you have a certain feeling, then that means the Holy Spirit is at work. This is something that uh we did, uh, we did a, a large series on, on, on the Holy Spirit, uh, and we talked about this a bit, is uh, for many believers today, the Holy Spirit is equated with the physiological response to an emotion-laden musical worship experience. If you feel a certain way, you've encountered the Holy Spirit. In order to facilitate this encounter, a certain atmosphere has to be created. And this is the goal, often the goal in um, some forms of contemporary Christian worship music, right? You're trying to create a certain atmosphere um, so that people can have a certain experience, a certain feeling, right? One thing to keep in mind, however, is that Music has the ability to engage, engage our emotions in a powerful way, right? Um, and that's, that's how God created us as, as, as humans and how God created music, right? It, aff- it affects us uh, emotionally. It affects us deeply. Uh, and this is true even of secular music, even of music that has nothing to do with God. Anyone who's into the secular concert scene can attest that you can come away from a rock concert with an emotional buzz that lasts for days, right? And ma- mankind has known this for ages. Plato said, "Music and rhythm find their way into the secret places of the soul." Emotional responses to music might have nothing to do with the lyrics. The, you know, you can have completely secular lyrics and and still have the same effect. So here's the, here's the thing, is when we equate the Holy Spirit with that physiological human response, we're setting ourselves up for a shallow definition of worship, a shallow definition of the Holy Spirit, and ultimately a shallow spirituality. I'm not saying that it's wrong to get involved emotionally in singing songs of praise and worship to God. I, I, I think that's a good thing, that we are supposed to engage our, we're supposed to engage our entire being um, in service to God. Our, our, our thoughts, our emotions, our our, our body, uh, our every aspect of our lives, right? But what I'm saying is that that emotional connection is not proof of the Holy Spirit's presence or power, nor is that experience the essence of worship. The problem when we substitute emotions for the Holy Spirit is that Worship suddenly becomes all about us. Worship becomes defined literally by what I get out of it. Plus, it places us in a position where it's all too tempting to use hype, you know, man-made emotionalism to, to, to like, try and build it up to, to create this man-made atmosphere of, of emotions to get the response we're looking for. Right? That becomes a temptation if that's how we define worship. And I want to say hype is a poor substitute for the presence of the living God. Instead, worship needs to be first and foremost about God. Worship involves ascribing greatness to God, submitting one's entire being to God. And the answer is, of course, not to say that emotions are bad. Uh, In and of themselves, emotions are are neither good nor bad, Uh, The answer is to allow God's, the the true presence of the Holy Spirit to work in us and to submit our entire being, our thoughts, our emotions, our will, our actions to him. So, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. Music can engage our emotions. Feelings are not bad, but feelings are not the litmus test for what worship. I want to talk a little bit about the quality of our worship songs. Um, I hope I don't sound too critical when I say this, but there are a lot of really poor quality worship songs out there. And uh, here, let me give you an example to show you what I mean. Here, I'll I'll read these, these lyrics to you. Here I am. Lifting hands in praise, standing here, my voice to you I raise. I cannot bear the weight of life alone, but through your love, you call me as your own. And then the chorus, I'm going to press on toward the goal. I love to worship you, I love to worship you. There is no place I would rather be, I love to worship you, I love to worship you. Is anyone familiar with this song? ever heard that? I'd be surprised if you were cuz I just made this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I So, I I didn't want to step on any toes by picking, you know, someone's favorite song and then <laughs> tearing it apart or or something like that. And, you know, I don't want to be picking apart someone else, some, something that someone else wrote. So, I thought, okay. Um, you know, in a, in a parallel universe, this could be top of the charts. You know, on the on the best Christian radio worship station or whatever, right? Uh, but in this universe, <laughs> in this world, uh, this is just something I made up. Okay. Um, you know, all you have to do is add some guitars and drums and, and this, this I, I, I intentionally piece together um, some of the elements that, that you often see in, in worship songs. Uh, these are the sorts of things you see. So, here's the question: um, What is the focus in these lyrics? I. I. It's it's focused on me, right? It's not it's not. Does it say anything about God? In this? Not really. It's all about me. <laughs> um and 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 the folk you know and not only that but you know this phrase i love to worship you i love to worship you it's what am i saying that i love am i saying i love god well not not quite right it's it's saying i love i love the experience of worship so it's it's almost like i'm praising worship it's almost like i'm i'm worshiping worship i'm praising praise Instead of worshiping God and praising Him, you know it's, it's it's a subtle bait and switch. You sometimes see this in in songs, right? Where, where you know you're you're wanting to focus on God, but somehow instead you end up focusing on yourself, right? And and you know it, it comes up. It's it's a sneaky little thing that comes up sometimes. So this is what happens when we define worship as a feeling or a, an experience, right? Then, then we start to praise that experience, uh, it, or it can happen. Can happen when we do that. So, so these are some of the problems that, um, or or some of the concerns that I think we need to watch out for when we're when we're looking at at songs. Right? Is is this song me focused, focused on me, or is it focused on God? Right, that's one one question to address. Um, is it you know, are, if it's focused on me, then I think I think that's a problem, right? We want we want our praise and our worship to be focused on him. It's about God. It's not about me. We don't want it to be focused on just a feeling or, or an experience, right? Again, we end up with a shallow a shallow uh, form of worship when we do that. Another thing is, you know, this this song lyrics. It's very individualized instead of corporate, right? It's it's I, me instead of mm-hmm. us, we, right? Um, you see that sometimes that uh, comes up, and and I, I do want to be careful. There, I think there is a place for for music that is I and me, because we do see that sometimes in the Psalms, right? Sometimes uh, there's a Psalm of David where David says, you know. I'm going through this and, you know, and I'm crying out to God. But create in me a clean heart, oh God. Exactly. So it's not like it's always wrong to use I and me, but when we're coming together as a community and worshipping together, I think it's helpful, it's beneficial to also emphasize it's us. We are worshipping together. We are coming before God together. General lack of substance is another thing we sometimes encounter. All right, so just to go back to to these lyrics, there's not much substance there, right? There's not there's not much that's not much meat. <laughs> it's very very artificial, very superficial kind of Kind of stuff, right? Um, so that's something to to be aware of. Related to that, I guess, is the issue of bad theology, errant theology. Uh, you know, the, this this particular song. I don't know if there's enough substance there to say whether it's good or bad theology. It's just there isn't really anything, right? But but sometimes. Y- you, if you really look at the lyrics of of songs that are popular um, in you know in some forms of Christian music, you think, I don't think that's biblical, what they're saying, right? I don't I don't think this is this is right. Uh, sometimes you have to you have to take a close look. Another thing that we have to watch out for is just what some some songs are honestly foreign to the bible right like you read you read the scripture and then you look at what this song says and it's just totally different right um you know we and and so this is where it's i think it's valuable to have songs that are more biblically focused more more based on scripture right um that's that's something that i think is is helpful Um, there is a a scholar named Gordon Fee who who said, let me hear a congregation sing and I will tell you their theology. (laughs) So I'll tell you what they think about who God is and what he's like just by listening to their songs that they sing. And uh, on the one hand, I think uh, I'd be kind of scared to think what, what, what he'd think if he showed up one day at a service and just, just heard a, a couple songs, right? But, but on the other hand, this goes back to the whole idea that, that the songs we sing, one of their roles is to help teach us, right? And if our songs have no substance and they're not giving us scripture, then we're not, we're not learning very much, right? So, um, yeah, that's something to think about as well. I do want to, to put out a plug there to say that we need more trained music leaders in the Messianic movement. There are, there are some very gifted uh, musicians in the Messianic movement, and, and that's wonderful, um, but we definitely need more. And more than that, we need musicians who are well-studied in God's word, right? Right. This is one of the things that I think is, is very ironic in in a lot of Christian churches. Uh, the If, if you want to be a pastor, you have to have a lot of training, right? You have to have gone to seminary and, and have your probably a, an MDiv or something like that. And, and so usually, uh, not all churches, but in, in a lot of churches, there are high qualifications in order to be a pastor. But to lead music, well, you just... If you can play a guitar and carry a tune, that's go ahead. Be up front and lead the music, or or to write the songs, oh, you can just be an amateur musician playing in your garage. You don't you don't even have to really know the Bible at all. Just you know, make up what comes to you. And and sadly, a lot of the the popular songs are are written by people who are not very well, uh, n- not very well trained in the Scriptures. Right, so it seems it seems kind of strange that we're saying, well, to be a pastor you have to have all this training, but to write all the music that that we use that influences us and that goes deep into your heart, you don't have to have any training. It seems ironic to me that there's a there's that kind of discrepancy, um, and so so all that to say, you know, it used to be years ago uh, that the people who wrote. The hymns and the the songs that that Christians would sing were um, theologians, people who who had studied a lot. Right? Um, that's not that's not the case at all today. For us in the Messianic movement, you know, there's there's uh, we need we need Messianic artists who are well trained in the Scriptures. Um, and, and there is a need for more high-quality messianic worship music, right? We've got a little bit, but but we've—that's that's a need that we have in, in the messianic Torah movement. It is interesting. And I don't want to get too carried away on this rabbit trail. It's interesting that there is a genre of music that is unique to the messianic movement—messianic music. <laughs> it's a, It's it's a. A distinct genre you know sometimes you, you go to different churches and you can tell the style of music c- tells you a little bit about what kind of church it is right in the messianic movement we've got uh, we've got our own styles styles of music too um, anyway we could uh, we could do a history of the messianic movement music that would, that would be a fun fun thing to do sometime all right one one thing we really need though um, is more songs on the festivals. We need more messianic songs to sing for particular festivals. That's something that that we need. So anyone who ever ends up listening to this teaching and knows uh, is, is into composing music, there's, a, there's something for you to consider. Congregational singing, singing together as a congregation, is this uh, is this important? Is it important to sing together as a congregation? I th- I think it is. Did you know that that has not always been the case? So at the in the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin uh, kind of rediscovered congregational singing because back then in the Catholic Church. You go you go to mass and number 1 it's all in latin and number 2 you don't do any singing it's the priest and the choir that does all the singing for you you just go and, and listen right and so uh, it wasn't until the reformation that this idea that hey maybe maybe everyone in the congregation should sing that was like a novel idea wow who would have thought right that's that's a and and it and it took off right um, we're we're used to that idea. It seems natural. But if that's the case, if if we do value the involvement of the entire congregation, it raises some questions. Should we use amplification? Right. You know, like a, a sound a speaker, sound system. Should we should we be using that? Because here's what happens: is uh, you know, think a hundred years ago. The entire congregation would sing, and the leader at the front, you know, usually it would be someone who has a, a loud voice. Usually it would be the pastor in a church who, who's the, who's the, also the, the person leading the music, right? Um, but he doesn't have a microphone. He doesn't have a speaker. He's just, everyone's singing together, and you can hear everyone. Today, you go into a lot of churches, and all you can hear are the people at the front coming through the speakers. You can't hear the people around you singing. Does that, does that, what does that do? What, what does that do to our theology of worship if suddenly, you know, all our voices are going up to God, but the only one that you can hear are the professionals at the front? Um, so, I, I'm, you know, this it, this is related to the question of how do we use technology in a way that is helpful and not harmful, right? Because... Amplification is a is a wonderful technology. Even so, using Zoom is technically a form of amplification, right? My voice is being carried a, a, around the world right now. That's pretty incredible, uh, and that's an amazing gift. But what does that what does that do to our voices rising together as a congregation? That's something something to think about. There are pros and cons to technology, right? I don't have a simple solution to it, but but maybe that's maybe we need to not make sure the volume isn't too loud on our speakers so that everyone is singing together. Even you know, even if we're not all opera singers, I think God likes the sound of our voices together better than just a couple professionals at the front. Do complicated melodies restrict congregational involvement? there are some songs out there that are uh popular popular songs popular worship songs but they they sound great when a professional is singing it but they just don't work very well for everyone to sing it because the the melody is is hard to sing the timing is difficult the the vocal range is outside of a normal you know no- normal normal range um, these are things to think about. What What are we doing? Are Are we putting things in place that are making it harder for everyone to join in? Here's another one. Uh, for us as as Messianic believers, does too much Hebrew restrict congregational involvement? And I, I have to admit, I I love Hebrew. All right, I I would love to do lots of stuff in Hebrew, um, but. Not everyone gets the same thing out of it that I do, and, and I have to be humble and admit that, right? That it's not always edifying for everyone if there's too much Hebrew. One of the principles that I think Paul talks about uh, in 1 Corinthians 14 that I think can apply here is Paul, one of Paul's rules is you can never have speaking in tongues without interpretation, Right? You can never have people speaking in other languages unless there's a translation because he says, I would rather speak, you know, what is the number? Five words to you in the language you can understand than thousand words to you in a language you can't understand. Right? Translate that into our setting here. I'd rather speak to you five words in English that you can understand than 10,000 words in Hebrew that you can't understand. Right. <laughs> yeah, when we're in a, a multilingual setting, right? It's it's you know, we want we want to try to make sure everyone can be involved and, and and understand, yeah. And sometimes that takes work, right? So uh so one thing we do in our service is we always try to make sure there is a translation of the Hebrew. When we do something in Hebrew, we also do it in English, right? Uh, I think that's that's important. I think what what Paul says applies to that. Um, But again, you know, going back to if if we really value the involvement of the entire congregation, these are things we have to think about. And I I, I don't think there is a black and white answer to any of these things, but these are things we, we need to keep in mind. We need to remember. Right. Okay, so to kind of wrap up here, I want to talk about how do we evaluate worship songs? If we're looking at worship songs, picking out music, things like that, what are what are things that should... Um, you know, I, I sometimes think of it like you can have a, a score, right? This song gets, gets a higher score, this song gets a lower score. Songs with higher scores are ones that Maybe we want to do more often, the songs with lower scores, maybe less often. I don't know, something like that. Uh, maybe that's being too OCD about it. <laughs> we could put together a spreadsheet and have it all... No, no, we don't need to do that. But anyway, here are some things to think about. Obviously, a big one is theology. What, what is the theology that, is, that this song is teaching? what what is it what is this song saying about god about his word about uh, about us as people about israel about uh, whatever it is right cuz if there is song if, if there is stuff in a song that goes against a sound of biblical theology that's that's a deal breaker right we we don't we don't want to have songs like that um but also just uh, this is related to like having having a depth of theology right it's like like true biblical teaching coming through in in this song these are these are things we want to we want to eval- ha- have to highlight when we're evaluating songs is it based on scripture i think that songs that are based on scripture whether it's quoting scripture directly or or paraphrasing scripture or whatever it is uh, but but more based on scripture i think songs like that are more valuable. Um I think there is place for for songs that are not necessarily quoting scripture, right? Like so in the Psalms, we often re- see this phrase sing unto the Lord a new song. Uh there's various interpretations on what that means, but but I think what that means is at the time that psalm was written, it was it was brand new. It's like, "Okay guys, we're going to do a new one you've never heard before. <laughs> Hit it." Here's the song. Um, kind of, And so we see that kind of creativity, right, within the scriptures. I think there is a place for being creative, for using the gifts of music that God has given us, the gifts of, of songwriting, poetry, things like that. Use those for his glory, right? There is a place for that. Um, so this isn't like a black and white criterion, but we do want to value songs that are based on scripture. That's my suggestion. Does the song have a broader vision of the kingdom as opposed to a shallow focus on me and my problems, right? Um, does, Does the song have an understanding of Israel as God's people, an understanding of Yeshua as king, an understanding of Yeshua's return, the restoration of Israel, the restoration that Yeshua will accomplish—these um, are things, things to think about, right? Corporate versus individual—we talked about this a bit. Is is the song about I and me, or is it about us and we? Um, and like I said. It, there is a place for songs that talk about I and me, like we read about in the Psalms sometime. But I think that has to be balanced with songs that emphasize the corporate aspect of coming together to worship God, right? Is we want songs that are focused on God instead of being focused on me. Right? Does the song spend more time talking about me or talking about God? That's something we can always ask. Uh, and it gets back to the definition of what it means to praise, describing positively who God is and what He has done. And then finally, for us as messianic Torah believers, um, does it does this song affirm uh, affirm our faith, right? As Messianic believers, is is um, does it? You know, one one question we can throw in here is: Is it written by a Messianic author? I I don't. Again, that's not a black and white criteria. Uh, We have beautiful songs that have been written by uh, people who are not necessarily Messianic. We have some quite honestly. Songs that are not really great worship songs that have been written by messianics, right? Um, just, just because the author believes the same as we do doesn't necessarily mean we want to value that song more. But, but this is not essential, but I do think it's a good idea for us to support our own artists, right? People who are in the messianic movement. We want to, we want to be uh, valuing and supporting other messianic uh, songwriters whenever we can and uh, use, using their, their music. I think that's healthy. Um, yeah. Related to this, Messianic distinctives, right? We like to... So for me, uh, the name Yeshua is meaningful. It's, it's deep. It's powerful. The name Jesus is... You know, it, that doesn't really mean as much to me. I, I kind of, at a very formative point in my life is when our family became uh, Messianic uh, Torah believers. We started observing Shabbat and the festivals and and uh, seeing God's Torah as valid for our lives, and, and we began to refer to Yeshua, Yeshua as Yeshua, call him by his Hebrew name, and that became very meaningful to me. And so the most intimate, deep times of prayer that I've had in my life have been in the name of Yeshua. And... To me, Jesus just doesn't have as much meaning. I, I'm not against using the name Jesus, but it just sounds kind of cold and academic to me. It doesn't, doesn't mean as much to me. And so for for some of us in the Messianic movement, that's that's another question is, is um, what kind of terminology does it use, Hebraic terminology or things like that. Anyway. All right. So let's wrap this up worship is more than just music nonetheless music is a powerful gift god has given us that we can use to serve and glorify him it's a way to engage our thoughts our emotions and our entire being in giving praise to god like we talked about i think it was in the last session or the session before that The singing we do together as a congregation is meaningless without a life of service to God. Worship has to encompass our whole lives. We can't just come together on Shabbat and expect God to to be pleased with our singing and our prayers if we go back home and do terrible things. right? God wants us to be completely devoted to him in all our lives and when we are then when we come together those times together of praising him are so much more beautiful let's close with a word of prayer our father in heaven we thank you so much that you are the one who is worthy of praise and that you have you have called us to be disciples of your son yeshua Thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you together as a community and help us, Father, to live lives of worship um, that every day and every moment of our lives would be in submission to your will. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The goal of Segula is to cast a vision for a healthy and mature Messianic Torah movement. This series of teachings is made possible for the help of our ministry partners and supporters. For more information about this ministry, please visit www.segulath.net. May the Father richly bless you as you seek Him, and together may we all become a glorious people in Messiah.